0: Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we found our inner black flame. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Praise the Dark Lord. For he is good and just. Was that a 50s cartoon enough for you? Yeah, it was. It needed a tinge more racism. Ah, uh, yeah, because that was the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as someone who has recently watched Dumbo, the 40s were pretty bad. It's almost like most of human history has been bad. Yeah, I mean... But I'm starting to pick up on... I'd like to think that we're kind of getting somewhere on that right now. Fingers crossed? Fingers crossed, um... Yeah, this is the first episode we've recorded since the revolution. Welcome. <laughs> uh big news, they canceled cops, the show. I think the memo may have gotten lost in translation a little bit. Uh well in Minneapolis they actually did cancel the cops. Congratulations. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, we'll see. They gotta there's gotta be some follow through happening. If you see a lot that like they had voted on it. And at least as of we're recording this, there has not been an official vote. It's just that a majority of the city council has declared that they're going to cancel cops. Um, And it's enough to override any possible veto of that. But so, yeah, fingers crossed. We're going to talk about another subject where law enforcement has continued to fail us. Actually, very timely. Uh, Yeah, it was very hard to do research for this. And not not just be angry all the time. Oh, God. Just a constant low-level, like, jaw grinding. There's a reason we've been putting this off, and it's because it's such a big topic, and it's so maddening. It's mid-season finale-level topic. So we're talking about the Satanic Panic. But not just the Satanic Panic, because there is some historical context that goes with the Satanic Panic. Or the good SP. Which is what we rely on you on. For, of course. Yeah. I, I feel like I got the less anger. No, I didn't. No, I didn't get the less anger-inducing half of this. It's pretty equal. <laughs> <laughs> Strap in, folks. It's going to be an episode. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so let's let's do our sources at the top, because we both did oh. research for this, and there's a lot right. of crossover. Yeah. So, two of the big ones. Um, there's an article from Slate about the last victims of satanic ritual abuse panic, um, and then an article in Fox about the history of satanic panic. panic. Both very good, both very comprehensive. Um, I also um, dug into an article from Pacific Standard Magazine, and then uh, there's a Satanic Panic podcast the CBC did this year that's top notch. I also relied on that. Um, So I used the Slate and the Vox articles as well. I also used an article from The Oregonian um, titled, How the Satanic Panic Shaped the 80s in Oregon, Sparking Repressed Memory Claims and Murder. Oh, boy. Uh, and then a lot of Encyclopedia, Britannica, History.com, and some Wikipedia. Um, also, the last podcast series on satanic ritual abuse. Excellent. Which is one of their earlier episodes. I would just like to give everyone that disclaimer before they go listen to it. It's a little more rowdy than their uh, more recent stuff? Or It's kind of like watching a Disney film made before 1995. <laughs> Still good, but you kinda have to remember context. Anyways, so we are going to start centuries before the nineteen eighties, because we've been terrible for a long time. Also seems to be a recurring theme. <laughs> Just in our episodes and in general. As long as there have been human beings, there have also there's also been hysteria. And like actual hysteria, not the kind we talked about in the hysteria episode, where men couldn't fathom being sane while living without a penis. Not the lady parts hysteria that we all have. <laughs> uh, this kind of hysteria is actually referred to as moral panic, and it has done some damage. <laughs> just, just a little bit. Some damage. There has been the idea an that people <laughs> an amount of damage. Um, so there has been the idea that people were making sacrifices to demons and pagan gods specifically sacrificing children, since the beginning of time. I mean, maybe not like the dinosaurs. They weren't into that. But the dinosaur, like the velociraptors, weren't accusing Tyrannosaurus Rex of sacrificing children to the devil? Well, if you watch Land Before Time 35, they actually (laughs) have a bit where Chomper grows up to be in a cult that tries to sacrifice Petrie, who not know how to fly. Anyway, let me read you an excerpt from Leviticus chapter 20. Oh, oh no, Emily. No. (laughs) I always worry when you read the Bible. I feel like we're going to get struck by lightning. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, anyone, whether an Israelite or an alien residing in Israel, who gives offspring to Moloch, a Canaanite god associated with child sacrifice, uh, shall be put to death. The people of the land shall stone that person. I myself will turn against and cut off that individual from among among the people. For in the giving of offspring to Moloch, my sanctuary was defiled and my holy name was profaned. If the people of the land condone the giving of offspring to Moloch by failing to put the wrongdoer to death, I myself will turn against that individual and his or her family and I will cut off from their people both the wrongdoer and all who follow this person by prostituting themselves with Moloch. Doesn't this seem timely if you read between the lines a little bit? A little bit. All Canaanites are bastards. (laughs) Where was I? All right. Should anyone quoting the Bible? Should anyone turn to ghosts and spirits and prostitute oneself with them? I will turn against that person and cut such a one off from among the people. Sanctify (laughs) yourselves. Sanctify yourselves then and be holy, for I the Lord, your God, am holy. Keep in mind that two chapters earlier, the Lord spent a really long time outlining the various people you're not allowed to have sex with, so the whole vibe of this book of the Bible is kind of a mixed bag. I was going to say, Leviticus is the don't do it, like, chapter of the Bible, right? Yeah, there's a whole thing on, like, don't sleep with your wife's sister and your husband's brother. Don't eat shellfish. Don't Don't wear mixed fabrics. It's, like, there's... (sighs) Mm. (laughs) Hmm... My general takeaway of this book of the Bible is that it was just guidelines for not dying in that specific time period. Yeah, I can see it. And there's some wild shit in there. Oh, yeah. Anyways, my point is that the Satanic Panic is not a new concept. No. So this is something that humans have always kind of had lurking around in their brains. Um, This kind of tendency towards hysteria and panic has come out with great force a couple of times throughout history so when we get so before we get to the actual satanic panic let's go over those historical occurrences um so we can see how we got to the point where people were being arrested for flying children to secret satan bunkers (laughs) that sounds like something i just made up it's not (laughs) it's not so the panic repeated many elements from historical moral panics and conspiracy theories uh, such as the blood libel against the jewish people oh yeah that bullshit that sounded weird how I phrased it, the, the Jews. <laughs> so blood libel, also called blood accusation, um, are the superstitious accusations that Jews ritually sacrifice child- Christian children at Passover to obtain blood for unleavened bread. Now, if you recall our baking episode, blood is not one of the main ingredients used in baking. No, I can't imagine that would uh work well at all. Maybe I guess if you used it in place of like eggs. But you'd have to be really quick about it because it, as soon as it starts to congeal, it's not gonna. Yeah. I mean, blood sausage is a thing, but like. But not in baking. It wouldn't. <laughs> in sausage making. Yeah. it wouldn't. And there's also blood pudding, which is technically a custard, which whatever. They didn't do it. <laughs> it's not real. And spoiler alert, a lot of this is not real. Uh, It first emerged in medieval Europe in the 12th century and popped up a couple of other times late on in Eastern and Central Europe. Uh, So the situation came to a head after about the year 1000, as Christian society began a process of reorganization that contributed to the marginalization of uh, Jews and other groups. So you have your, like, Romani peoples and the, you know, non-white. Any of the others. Yeah. Non-white Christians non-white, non-Christians. Anyway, in 1906, Knights of the First Crusade unleashed a wave of anti-Semitic violence in France. 1906? 1096. I was like, wow, we just jumped ahead in time. Way, yeah. The the Crusades bit didn't give you pause. Uh, So in 1906, Knights of the First Crusade unleashed a wave of anti-Semitic violence in France and the Holy Roman Empire unfounded accusations against Jews regarding things like ritual murder and host desecration began to spread. In 1144, an English boy, William of Norwich, was found brutally murdered with strange wounds to his head, arms, and torso. His uncle, a priest, blamed local Jews. I mean, that all tracks. Um, And if you remember correctly, one of the first groups of people to be blamed for the Jack the Ripper murders were Jews. So Mm -hmm. it kind of kept going. So this priest blamed local Jews, and a rumor spread that Jews crucified a Christian child every year at Passover. I mean, it sounds so stupid now, but like... Yeah. It also, like, no, it just completely tracks with everything I know about history. (laughs) In 1255, an investigation into the death of another boy, Hugh of Lincoln... Sparked an a- sparked anti-Semitic feelings that resulted in the execution of nineteen English Jews. Jesus. The story of Little Saint Hugh soon became part of popular literature and song, and some considered the boy a martyr. Of course, they would. These rumors popped up again and again for a few, like for several more years, as an excuse to persecute Jews. Though I'm pretty sure it eventually died down. I mean, in that they're not like openly being accused of murder. Murder for Satan. Yeah. Believe in the same God. I just want to point that out. (laughs) I mean, so do Muslims, and yeah, here we are. Unsurprisingly... The Spanish Inquisition was also partially the result of Christians believing the Jews were doing shit that they were not doing. In the late 15th century, King Ferdinand II and Queen Isabella of Spain believed corruption in the Spanish Catholic Church was caused by Jews who, to survive centuries of anti-Semitism, converted to Christianity. Our institutions are just usually corrupt because power and, you know, well, you would think. It's just how it works. Uh, Known as conversos, they were viewed with suspicion by old, powerful Christian families. I love that. Like, even if they try to convert and try to assimilate and try to do what they're supposed... Air quotes around supposed to do, Mm -hmm. they're still... Like, it's not good enough. It's never good enough because they're still the Jews. Uh, Conversos were blamed for a plague and accused of poisoning people's water and abducting Christian boys, which Christians... The Jews are not the threat against your boys that you should be worried about. Look inside yourself. Uh, Again, I see a pattern of projection that... Mm, Yep. Ferdinand and Isabella, who I think are the ones that sent Columbus to try to find India, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Mm Mm-hmm. So they were responsible for just a lot of really bad shit. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Uh, so they feared that even trusted conversos were secretly practicing their old religion. The royal couple was also afraid of angering Christian subjects who demanded a harder line against conversos. Christian support was crucial in an upcoming crusade against Muslims planned in Granada, which mm-hmm. is a whole other thing. Ferdinand felt an inquisition was the best way to fund that crusade by seizing the wealth of heretic conversos. Also always interesting how that comes about where Yeah, it's... I think we had an occurrence of that in the early 40s just somewhere there. Yeah. It's just it's weird how like profitable racism can be. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So a more recent example is McCarthyism in the 50s when the threat wasn't so much the devil but communism, who some mm. might argue is the devil. I mean, if you ask my dad. <laughs> Advances made by the Soviet Union following World War II, coupled with the victory in 1949 of the Chinese Communist Party in establishing the People's Republic of China, and the apparent inability of the United States to prevent the spread of communism, were mm-hmm. among factors causing fear of communist infulta- infiltration in the United States. In 1950, a elected official from Wisconsin... Joseph a garbage McCorm- state for garbage people... <laughs> Joseph McCarthy, who had been elected to the U.S. Senate in 1946, made a speech in Wheeling, West Virginia, in which he stated that the U.S. was engaged in, quote, a battle between communistic atheism and Christianity, unquote, and declared that there had that he had a large list of a large number of communists working in the State Department, a number that he gave at various times as 205, 81 and 57. Sure. For the next two years, he was constantly in the spotlight, investigating various various government departments and questioning innumerable witnesses about their suspected communist affiliations. Although he failed to make plausible case against anyone, his accusations drove some persons out of their jobs and brought popular condemnation to others. Good old-fashioned witch hunt without the uh, hanging. Yeah, I mean, witch hunts are also an example, but, you know, we've talked about them before. They're kind of a given. That's, yeah, a whole, I mean, all of this is a subject on its own. Sorry, Sadie just sent me what looks like a picture of a show she's watching that has Ben Feldman in it. (laughs) I need to find out what show this is. Oh, my sweet boy. Man, it's been a long time since we've name-dropped Ben Feldman. Oh, he was in an episode of The Mindy Project. Ah. I need to tell her that I'm mentioning this on the episode. Anyways, so just like the witch hunts, McCarthyism also gave people the opportunity to report people that they might have... A minor beef mm. with as a potential witch or a potential communist. It's a good way to get revenge in a government sanctioned way. Yeah. I mean, that came up a lot. And McCarthyism might even be its own episode because there are ins and outs, you know. So there's your historical context, I guess. So why were we all of a sudden worried about Satanists in particular? Because up until a certain point, like Satan was kind of an abstract concept. Unless you were a fundamentalist. Right. Which fundamentalists also, this is their fault. It usually is. Yeah. So while it's not related, sorry, it's not not related to the rise in cult activity that occurred in the 60s and 70s, which it's 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 weird. Um, So like up until, you know, the 60s and the 70s, we had kind of rigid religious structures and mm-hmm. then people started to rebel in the 60s and 70s and then a result of that rebellion came the 80s and the 90s when people were more strict and you know they were rebelling against their parents who were hippies in the 60s and 70s right so there was a rise in cult activity in the 60s and 70s um the people's temple or jonestown and specifically the manson family uh perpetrated the idea of evil cults kidnapping and brainwashing vulnerable young people into a life of spitting in the face of God and committing terrible (laughs) crimes. Which, I mean, it obviously, it did happen, but probably not as widespread as... Like, I would love to see statistics on, like, how how many people were actually in a cult in the 70s, relative to, like, the population. And there's a difference between a cult and a commune, but, like, your parents who grew up in the 30s aren't going to understand that. No. So... In reality, Jim Jones took most of his teaching from Christianity, and Manson's instructions to his followers was to make the murders they committed look, quote, witchy and like the Black Panthers made committed it in order to cover up other crimes. (sighs) Because he accidentally, well, no, he thought he murdered a mescaline dealer. Right. And then he was panicking about it because there was a news story and... Please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember this exactly. Um, there was a news story about a Black Panther that, didn't, that had been killed. And uh, Manson thought that, that was the guy that he had killed. Because he's fucking <laughs> Charles Manson and he's a insane little gremlin of a man. So he told Sadie and uh, Tex and, and those assholes to go commit more crimes and blame it on the Black Panthers. So... It would, it would essentially, yeah, the yeah. Th- the crime that he had thought he had committed would get wrapped yeah. up into, yeah, yeah. Helter Skelter was bullshit. <laughs> Correct. Well, <laughs> sort of. They really did like the White Album, and Manson mm-hmm. was kind of filling their heads with some dumb shit. But it was just his way of keeping these people around him because he liked boning young ladies and wanted to go live out in the desert and ride dune buggies. And again, horrible little gremlin man, but not Satanist. <laughs> no. But I can see how all of that would read as Satanism in the 1970s, 60s and 70s. It was much easier for people to be horrified by the idea that Manson was an evil man who committed crimes to perpetuate this belief that there would be an apocalyptic race war and corrupt sweet baby angels who, you know, <laughs> did not at all choose to follow him due to a need for acceptance that they were not getting from the same society who believed they were in league with Satan. It was easier for them to, to think that than to think that you know their dumb kids ran off with this crazy man and yeah because dumb kids do dumb kid shit and exactly well and it wasn't helped by the fact that like after arrests were made like i think tex watson and one of the other one of the girls uh, patty i think the one that looks like uh, um tom holland in a wig <laughs> they said yes, that I'm familiar yeah they said that manson had corrupted them and all of that shit it's not true it's not true A full episode on its own, which maybe we'll do someday, but no promises. Yeah. um, This is also Richard Ramirez's fault. Right. Like, more immediately. Yeah. You know, it was on account of how he actually believed that he was doing the work of the Dark Lord when he murdered 14 people in their homes. Um, He made some of them invoke the name of Satan as he raped and killed them. We forgot to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, Sarah. Oh, uh, I have a trigger warning for, like, my half, but um all right before we go any further uh yeah so really gonna try our best not to go into unnecessary detail but this topic as like we're starting to move into now with the ritual abuse stuff it does get into the sexual abuse of children so if that's triggered for you please just turn the podcast off that would be my best recommendation yeah and hey you learned about mccarthyism so it's not a complete loss (laughs) (laughs) People were kind of upset about his whole deal and very wary of Satanism, which wasn't helped by the rise of the Church of Satan, who was just kind of having a free wheeling good time with their rituals oh, and their. Those guys, yeah. Um, but for more information, please see our episode on Satanism. Yeah, it it gave a an organized face to the concept of the Satanist and proved, in a way, that they did actually exist. Right, because you could point to there is literally a Church of Satan. Yeah. So worried, Americans started to see the devil's work in almost everything, including horror movies like The Exorcist, Exorcist even, uh, which, to be fair, did have a physical representation of a demon in it. So, you know, you could see the devil's work pretty clearly. And Dungeons and Dragons was another big one. Which we've also talked about a little bit with Satanic Panic and Dungeons and Dragons. Most of all, of course, Satan could be found in popular music where musicians mostly did it for shock value unless you're talking about black metal specifically from scandinavia which had more of like that ramirez i actually believe this i want to be evil vibe right but it was actually just like scrawny white (laughs) like 16 year olds just trying to be cool i feel like that's a lot of it is yeah norwegian black metal is a whole thing by itself um there's a documentary i've been meaning to watch about it on uh, amazon prime so through it all christian Fundamentalism and the rise of a literal belief in angels and demons was gaining traction. Fundam- fundamentalist preachers like Jerry Falwell and his moral majority founded in 1979, uh, which I think you talk about it a little bit in your section. Um, they gained prominence across the country and spread fundamentalist Christianity on a wide scale. Anti-cult activists like Pat Pulling, who believe her son died by suicide because he was cursed in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, rallied against role-playing games and was supported by occult fearmongering from Jack Chick and his Chick Tracks, which we I did, remember them, yeah, which we did cover in our tabletop episode. He just died, by I saw the way. R.I.P. Sure. Uh, it probably didn't help that law enforcement was also affected by these beliefs pretty early on. Yeah, no, they got like. Actual training on it. I think I'd talk about that too, but well, I actually have some local examples. Do tell. Uh from that Oregonian uh episode article. Um so in 1982, Oregon News reports announced that state police in Columbia County found 23-year-old Delmer Anholt of Portland kneeling over the mutilated body of his 19-year-old girlfriend Tara McCarth in a graveyard near St. Helens, which, if you're not from the area, but fuck nowhere. <laughs> In his first interview with Ann Holt, county investigator Dalton Derrick recalls that the suspect was, quote, obsessed with his girlfriend's pregnancy. He referred constantly to the demon seed insider and his compulsion to kill the unborn child. Sounds like mental illness. Or someone trying to get off on a uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. There's that too, yeah. Which isn't a medical diagnosis, it's a legal diagnosis. Right. The legal definition of insanity is you have to know, like, or you have to not understand what you're doing is wrong at the time. Yeah. Uh, two years later, Pendleton, also the middle of nowhere, police tracked a local satanic cult of teenagers led by a 24-year-old known as Wizard. They hoped the cult would peter <sighs> out after the Wizard was convicted on arson charges. Ken, this sounds like just a bunch of dumb kids trying it to is. be cool. And then finally... We saw a shift in the way child abuse was reported and handled in the country. People started to see it as an actual problem to be dealt with on a larger scale and started allowing non-government agents to report abuse in a meaningful way. So therapists, teachers, all of that. Because it used to be you had to file a police report and all of that, and then investigations would begin. But now, a you know, social worker can do it. And like even before, like child abuse has always been a thing. But, like, the way we treated it as, like, something to, like, not just, well, that's that family's business and how they are choosing to raise their children. Like, oh, no, this is actually detrimental to the children (laughs) and maybe we should intervene. Well, and I believe there were some, uh, since child therapy started becoming a meaningful thing and children would go to see therapists and stuff, like, the government would give funding to these places that were... Uh, you know, taking care of these children. But they would also put the stipulation that they had to have a certain number of cases of child abuse and all of that to keep their funding, which led to over-reporting of the situation, which doesn't specifically have to do with Satan, but it did have a lot to do with the satanic panic because you have these reports coming in and then people are like, oh, this is a thing. And then therapists can be like, oh, this will help me get to my quota. Right. So that's... <laughs> That's where I stop. Yeah. And we'll get into a little more. There's a very specific example I can think of in my notes and therapists and, oh boy. It's it's kind of like the no child left behind thing where your test scores have to be at a certain point to keep government funding. It doesn't help anybody. Government funding being dependent on quotas has never helped anybody. No, never. Unless it's people like people are just going to cook the books or, like, you can't... Yeah, unless it's like you have to help, you know, 40 houseless people every month to keep your funding, like that kind of thing. Yeah. But even then, it doesn't always it's, work out. Yeah. No, that's just an atrocious idea that you have to come up with so many child abuse cases. Like, what are they, like, they can't control. Okay, we're we're not going to get into it. Oh, yeah. boy. I mean, oh, we, boy. we are going to get into it to a certain extent, but, like, not that specific thing. <sighs> yeah, so you've touched on this already, but... It's not stands great phrasing. To be Sarah. Uh no. <laughs> Stop Sorry, it. it's not funny. It's not funny. I'm so sorry. The 80s were a weird time in America and everywhere else really. And, yeah, but especially the US. I would know. I was there briefly. Um, <laughs> so Sure. You've got Ronald Reagan in the White House. He's been put there essentially by the rise of like Jerry Falwell and the moral majority. This whole like rise of right-wing christian fundamentalism is kind of what puts him right and straight straight into the white house the economy is booming everyone's doing cocaine (laughs) yeah i've seen forrest gump i know at the same time like the 80s is the decade of stranger danger of kids appearing on milk cartons and being quote-unquote poisoned by halloween candy and stalked by killer clowns because there was also a clown scare at this time that's john Wayne gacy's fault and we all know it (laughs) (laughs) so into the middle of all of this drops this sensational book entitled Michelle Remembers, and that's God published in 1980. So Michelle Remembers, I can already hear you getting angry, and I understand. I, I've been mad for a very long time. <laughs> Michelle Remembers was written by a woman named Michelle Smith and her psychiatrist, Lawrence Pazder, uh, who she would later marry. And this is just the first red flag. Uh, Pazder had been treating Smith for depression following a miscarriage and suggested that she undergo regression hypnosis. Just just to get it out of the way, regression hypnosis is almost certainly bunk, and most self-respecting psychiatrists will tell you this. But the idea is that by putting the patient into a hypnotic state, you can get them to regress back into childhood, and by doing so, recover traumatic memories that they may have repressed. The whole concept of recovered memories is kind of a, a fraught topic. Because yeah. you get shit like this, but then you also get shit like they had in the Keepers, where those priests were almost definitely doing something. Oh, yeah, just bad news all around. But um, like we've discussed, I, did we? We talked a little bit about memory. I think in that ghost episode, this is—it's such a great mid-season finale because they are touching on everything that we touched on earlier. In the, <coughs> now that you've like pointed it out, I can't think <laughs> of another word. <laughs> uh, but what call, I was saying we're like doing callbacks <laughs> callbacks great um like the idea that memory is not as solid as we would want it to like memories can be created the effect that you can go back and recover memories like i mean for the longest time i thought that i had seen a clip of it on tv at my great grandma's house and i was like terrified of clowns because of it mm mm-hmm wasn't it. It was the movie Problem Child with John Ritter. (laughs) Same thing. I mean, there is a big clown thing in that, but, like, (laughs) yeah. fact remains. But, yeah, like, just saying, like, it's very easy to manipulate your memory. Especially children. Yeah, especially children. So cover memory is not great. But anyway, while undergoing this therapy, and just in case it's not obvious from the tone of my voice, I'm using very generous scare quotes around the word therapy. Um, Michelle recovered horrific memories of years of abuse she had suffered at a group um, at the hands of her mother in a satanic cult known as the Church of Satan, a group pastor alleged was actually centuries older than that of Anton LaVey's. So not that Church of Satan, a different Church of Satan, a real Church of Satan. Oh, well. (laughs) So Smith claimed not only that she had been sexually abused, but that she had been imprisoned in cages with live snakes uh forced to watch as cult members slaughtered live kittens witnessed human and infant sacrifices and was later rubbed with the blood and body parts of sad sacrifices uh in that she was forced to take part in various rituals including an 81 day rite to summon satan himself which must have been a barn burner i mean if you do it the the uh jack parsons way also where are they getting the infants this is a question that comes up later (laughs) Where do all the babies come from that they are sacrificing? Well, also reminded never me of never that, made clear that bit in The Conjuring where they were talking about the fictional witch that's supposed to be haunting the house. It's like, <sighs> it, she's like a descendant of the Salem witch trials, which that line makes me angry every time because it wasn't real. None of it's real, Sarah. <sighs> I'm sorry, but the Warrens were full of shit. I mean, I know this. <laughs> I love The Conjuring. As a fictional film. <laughs> but the Warrens are frauds. And I say this is someone who deeply loves the Warrens. Well, My biggest fear them is that Lorraine strong. Warren, like, I know Lorraine Warren would hate me. And <laughs> I've had to live with that. <laughs> so, dis- despite Smith's wild claims, like, this is a good one, like, her physical scars had been healed by Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and the Archangel Michael. And people believed her. <laughs> well, like I said, Jerry Falwell. Uh, and despite the fact that the book was thoroughly and repeatedly debunked from almost the moment it was published, Michelle Remembers was widely praised and rarely questioned by the media. Again, I would read it as a fiction. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a creepy story, but trying to pass it off as real kind of ruins the, I'm not going to say the fun of it. The thrill? Yeah, that's that's better. Anyway. Uh, so the book earned Pastor and Smith more than three hundred and forty thousand in hardcover and paperback rights and generated its own cottage industry and memoirs by survivors of what was quickly becoming known as satanic ritual abuse. So, with Michelle remembers serving as their textbook, law enforcement agencies across the country started holding seminars like intended to help their officers recognize the signs of satanic ritual abuse. Pastor at the time was considered to be a leading authority. He attended hundreds of them, he spoke with them, he was He was all over these cases, which is problematic. The whole thing is problematic, but yes, that specifically. (sighs) Bad from beginning to end. So, not long after Smith's memoirs had been published, social workers in Bakersfield, California were in the middle of reading the book as part of their training. See, it's been broken for a a long time. (laughs) They were reading the book as part of their training when two girls came forward claiming they had been molested as part of a clandestine occult sex ring. (sighs) So, their stories weren't all that different from Smith's. They said they'd been hung from hooks in their family's living room, where they were forced to drink blood and watched, again, babies being sacrificed. Uh, The allegations spiraled from there, In between 84 and 86, the investigation would send at least 26 people to jail, despite no corroborating physical evidence ever being found. None. I mean, you're going to see that as a running theme throughout this entire thing. Physical evidence just doesn't exist. And in the rare cases, it does. Maybe it's not. wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> instead, the convictions were based almost entirely on the testimony of the children involved, testimony that would later be recanted once it was found that the kids had been coached by investigators and therapists, and in the case of the original two girls, by a grandparent who was believed to have a history of mental illness. Also, kind of a running theme. Nearly all of the convictions have since been overturned, but not many of the wrong- but not before many of the wrongfully accused had already spent decades in jail. So John Stoll, a local carpenter, spent 20 years of his 40-year sentence behind bars. I would just like to to point out that these are um, white people, and I have to make the assumption that if they weren't, they probably would still be in jail. That seems likely. Um, There's another case of parents, Scott and Brenda, and I didn't write down their last name. Well, their names are Scott and Brenda. It was like Johnson or something. They were convicted on the testimony of their own sons, uh, who were each, and they were each sentenced to 240 years in prison. Uh, They were finally released after serving 12. After their sons, like, finally admitted that they had been coached. Um, Two of the convicted individuals died in prison, unable to clear their names. Meanwhile, Ed Yeagles, who is the district attorney responsible for prosecuting all these cases, so I can repeat that ridiculous name, please. Ed Yeagles. Okay. Uh he remained in office until 2009. We let that happen. Yep. And then he retired. He wasn't pushed out, he retired. Huh. So the current county abuse case was one of the first. It certainly wasn't the last. In many of the cases that came after would follow the same familiar template. But as the decade went on, they would start to incorporate another sinister institution of the decade, daycares. <sighs> It's all women's fault, Sarah. It's always women. And here's the thing. In the 1980s, women are entering the workforce in numbers like that have never been seen before. Obviously, it's been like a lead up to this. Women have been in the workforce before, but never to the extent that they were at this time, at least by this time. So as two income households are on the rise, it means someone's got to look after the kids. So daycares aren't new, but they're definitely not the norm for, I would say, middle class families. Um, obviously, if you're poor, you don't have the uh, um, the luxury Money. of having your mom stay home and watch after you all the time. Your parents gotta work, but like again, then you also can't afford daycare. But like for middle class families, there's this is a new thing for them where they're faced with this reality where they're leaving their children in the care of people who are more or less total strangers. Yeah. So there's an investigative reporter named Debbie Nathan who wrote a book about this whole phenomenon, and she lays it out really well. Essentially, children symbolize all the good things about a culture, like its innocence and its future. And when you have a culture that's under threat, say changes to gender roles, changes to how we raise our children, a lot of that anxiety will focus on the safety of the children. And this isn't really exclusive to one end of the political spectrum or the other. Like on the right, obviously, you have. Jerry Falwell, and people embracing fundamentalist religion and this idea of a literal Satan. On the left, you've got all this hand wringing about the well-being of children, and and it creates this, like, Ouroboros of, like, fear and anxiety that's being fed this constant diet of 24-hour cable news, books like Michelle Remembers, Geraldo's hosting specials about Satanists that our missed. Like, it's just... It's a bad cycle. Well, and it's not even this where you get the, but what about the children? Because I people use that as a thing to hide behind for their own shit for forever. Like, how am I going to explain this to my kids? Like, I don't know, motherfucker. Like, Be a parent. It's very easy. <laughs> talk to your child like they're a human being. <laughs> I'm sorry you have to talk to your ugly kid for 10 minutes to explain <laughs> that two men can get married. Like, uh, deal with get that. over it, Pamela. <laughs> So this brings us to the McMartin preschool case, which is kind of what kicked <laughs> off the panic in earnest. If I'm not mistaken, this is California's most expensive legal proceeding since yes. the prosecution of Charles Ng in the 80s Correct. or the late 70s. I think the record still stands from like everything I've read. I know that Charles Ng was very expensive and then McMartin like, went above and beyond. And McMartin didn't get any. Well, we'll get into it, but... <laughs> Uh, so this started in 1983, and it started, as so many of these cases did, with a single accusation of child abuse. Uh, in this case, a woman reported to police that her two-year-old son had been sexually abused by her estranged husband and his father, Ray Bucky. So that is an element that I wasn't aware of before this. I did not know that it was her ex-husband. Yeah. which I is... thought that she was just uh, cuckoo bananas before, like, just, you know, on her own. <laughs> Yeah, it adds an interesting wrinkle to the whole story. It adds Um, an air of suspicion, if you will, (laughs) a little bit. Uh, So he was a teacher at the McMartin preschool, and he was the son of its administrator, Peggy McMartin Bucky. So as the police started to look into this accusation, oh god, like I just I cringe thinking about it. They sent a form letter to about two hundred parents of children that had attended the McMartin school, and that's where they went wrong. (laughs) Yeah, bad idea. Informing about the accusation and asking them to question their children about possible abuse. And this, in almost every case, is where things start to go off the rails. Because now you've planted this idea in the heads of hundreds of very anxious mothers and fathers. Understandably, can't be expected to conduct an objective interview of their preschool children. They don't know what they're doing. They're even afraid. The kids even don't strangers get it. can't interview children like objective. So, as part of their investigation, the, pre- the police brought in this nonprofit group known as the Children's Institute to conduct interviews and examinations of nearly 400 children that had attended the daycare. This was all done under the direction of a woman named Key McFarlane. I hate this bitch so much. (laughs) McFarlane advertised herself as a psychotherapist, but she was in fact unlicensed and had no psychological or medical training. Her highest academic credential was a welding certificate. Which is useful, just maybe not here. I mean, honestly, maybe stick to welding. I'm sure you get paid more. Like, that sounds like a very good, high in demand job. And she put less innocent people in prison. Generally I speaking. <laughs> so, in the course of the interviews, McFarland and her two equally unqualified assistants determined that 359 of the 400 children interviewed had been abused. I'm just picturing her assistants as those two guys from Insidious who are like constantly eating Hot Pockets and like taking pictures. Yeah, that sounds. That's the vibe. Except they were more effective. (laughs) (laughs) The accusations made by the children in the course of these interviews range from highly disturbing to ridiculously outlandish. That Ray and Peggy had sacrificed a baby. That they had orgies at car washes. Because that's where all the best orgies are held. Yeah, if you're in an 80s bikini movie. Uh, They allegedly could turn into witches and fly, according to the children. Um, This is my favorite. Sometimes they would flush children down toilets into secret rooms where they would be abused. And if this sounds like made up childish nonsense to you, you would be right. I want to believe that the people like handling this were doing the whole like people make up alien abductions to cover like trauma that they suffered like that kind of thing, but right. I don't get the vibe that that's how they were taking. It. I feel like they were taking it very much at f- face value. Very, much. I feel like I, something like flushing down the toilets. I feel like they probably didn't take it literally. Like, they probably thought there was, like, some childish, yeah, or some sort of ch- children's imagination blocking what had really happened. But, like, that didn't make them question any of it. Like, uh, well, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain that really Yeah, succinctly. I mean, but, like, I'm sure they didn't literally think the children had been flushed on toilets. But they believed the story behind it. No? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. The investigators did take the accus- accusation seriously, which you generally want them to do. But we'll get into that later. Um, when several children reported that Mc- that the McMartin owners used secret underground tunnels to transport them to the site of their satanic rituals, police began to excavate under the school. Uh, it did turn up some evidence of old buildings and some debris, but like nothing resembling usable tunnels was found, or like chambers of secrets. None T- of that. <laughs> no <laughs> snakes <laughs> here. None of it. So, despite the lack of any corroborating evidence, Peggy McMartin Bucky, her son Raymond, the child's father, mm-hmm. um, her daughter Peggy Ann, because I love when mothers name their children the same name. Sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's Mormon. <laughs> uh, and also the owner's mother, Virginia McMartin. They were... got an old lady in on... A... Oh, yep. uh, They were eventually charged with 135 counts of molesting 14 children in 1986, so the resulting trials, of which there were two, lasted eight years and cost Los Angeles County more than $15 million, making it one of the longest and most expensive cases in not just Los Angeles history, in American legal history. Taxpayers' money. Yep. Uh, Lawrence Pazder, of course, served as one of the consultants on the case. Uh, Ray Becky would end up serving five years and his mother two um, as they we kind of waited for these trials to play out. But without any physical evidence, the case would eventually evaporate. Their sentence, sentences were overturned. Thank God. Um, During this whole debacle, it came out that the mother who made the original accusation had been diagnosed and hospitalized for acute paranoid schizophrenia. And I I don't want to, like, put this on her or imply that her claim should have been, like, dismissed outright, but you couple this with the fact that it's her estranged husband that she is probably in conflict with, that she's accusing, and, like, it warrants just, like, just the basic level of scrutiny. (laughs) Like, that's all I'm asking for. But that's missing. From this case and so many of these cases, just none of it. Oh, God. And, and as we know, witness testimony is rarely, like, the most reliable. Very rarely. Uh, so in 1992, just two years after the case against the McMartins fell apart, Dan and Francis Keller, who ran a daycare center out of their home in Austin, Texas, were each sentenced to 48 years in prison for aggravated sexual assault on a child. Uh, so, like the McMartins, the case against the Kellers began with a single accusation. So, a three-year-old girl, um, who had occasionally attended the daycare in the summer of 1991, told her mother that Dan Keller had spanked her. So, this girl was already seeing a therapist for acting out at the age of three years old. She must have been a fucking nightmare. And This is what I wonder. Was she really a nightmare? Or was her mother a nightmare? Was she a three-year-old? Yeah. It could go either way. Yeah. She was later coaxed by her mother and the therapist to reveal more and more outlandish details. She was, she would later claim that Dan had pooped and peed on her head and molested her with a pen and made her smoke a cigarette. Uh, later that they, the Kellers, had all the children take their clothes off and had a parrot that pecked them in the pee-pee. Some of this is like verbatim from the kids, so it sounds really I weird. I would hope that was <laughs> verbatim from the kids and not like you jazzing it up for I've this podcast. It. No. Uh, and then... Also, that they had come to her house with a chainsaw and cut her dog Buffy in the vagina until it bled. Easily So disproved. Easily. Did you look at the dog? No. Did you look at the parrot? At no point did the mother or therapist question these claims. They turned the case over to the police, but word had already gotten out among other parents whose children attended the Keller's daycare. Also, I would venture to say that this is not something that should have been given to the police. It should have been given to, like, qualified... Yeah, just saying. I mean, well, you would say the therapist is technically supposed to be qualified, but no one's qualified I mean, no one's qualified. qualified. So, at least two other children came forward with allegations of abuse, one of which, not coincidentally, I'm sure, shared a therapist with the original accuser. Uh, So, by the time the case went to trial in November 1992, uh, the accusations had become completely bananas, including that. Oh, God. Uh, The Kellers. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I just realized that um, around this time period, around 1992, is when Jeffrey Dahmer was caught. And he had, like, an altar and shit in his. So he didn't help. This is no. also on him. The white men never help. I'm <laughs> It's my favorite Spike Lee movie. White men don't help. White men don't help. Uh, So, <laughs> the claims involved are the claims... Ran this gamut between the Kellers put blood in the children's Kool-Aid. Children claim to have witnessed killing dogs and cats and once a baby tiger. And this <laughs> this makes me laugh because, like, McKenna, my niece, went through a phase where she played, like, baby tiger. Like, this just seems like a perfect, like, little kids thing that kids come up with. But, and no one's checking the, like, source chain on this. Like, someone's got to have a fucking receipt for like, a tiger. How did you procure Yeah, procure the baby tiger. I can't say that word. You know what I mean. Procure. Thank you. Uh, They also claimed that they'd seen a person being shot and dismembered with a chainsaw. Um, They said that the Kellers wore white robes and lit candles um, as they carried out their abuse. Sometimes they would dress as pumpkins, which seems very festive. (laughs) Sometimes they would transport the children all the way to Mexico to be abused by soldiers in the Mexican army. During the hours that they were at daycare. Mm -hmm. They also alleged that they'd been put into pools of sharks that ate babies. Baby. Don't. (laughs) Don't you dare. Look at so many bad reviews. We already have so many bad reviews, I don't give a shit. Uh, So there were supposedly videotapes of the abuse, which never surfaced, and friends and acquaintances of the Kellers, including their landlord, who frequently just would drop by unannounced. Which is an element that, like, concerns me, but in a different category. They all testified that they never seen anything out of the ordinary happen at the daycare. So I just want to pause and say, like, I feel like we're laughing a lot about child abuse. And I we're promise not. it's just at how ridiculous some of this stuff is. I'm not laughing at the concept of child abuse. I'm laughing at how the adults have handled this. Yeah, which is badly. So even the original accuser, um, I was going to say other children like who had supposedly been targets of abuse, like they had been named by the other children have as having been there, like basically came out and said, like, no, none of this never happened, ever happened. Like, well, what are you talking about? The kellers are fine. Didn't matter. <laughs> uh eventually the original accuser, um, who's now at this time five years old, recanted her accusations that did little to deter prosecutors. Um, so among the witnesses for the prosecution was the therapist who reported the original accusations. Um, she had testified that the accusers' habits of acting out, again At the age of three years old, which is the most terrible age for children, (laughs) was consistent with children who had been abused by satanic cults. It's not a thing that you have a frame of reference for. (laughs) No, because it's all made up. Uh, The jury also heard from an quote-unquote expert in ritual abuse, a psychologist named Randy Noblet who testified that satanic cults are definitely real and also that they were everywhere. Shut the fuck up, Randy. (laughs) So a note about Randy Noblet, and this is like verbatim from a later appeal of this case. um, Say, in 2003, Noblet was featured on ABC's Primetime, having a conversation with Satan, who Noblet agreed was actually a pretty nice guy, notwithstanding, of course, his role as the Dark Lord of Evil. No court and no jury should ever rely on the testimony of Dr. Noblet. I mean, Satan probably is a pretty chill dude, like, however, fuck Randy. <laughs> so, the jury also heard evidence that, related to this claim, that, like, okay, so this was related, this is another one, that the Kellers had exhumed bodies at the local graveyard and forced the kill- children to carry the bones around, which, I don't know what that's supposed to accomplish, but it I is spooky. was just going to add, like, are they just, like, recreating an old cartoon? Like, know. But, so, there was evidence, apparently, that the soil at the cemetery had been disturbed. Um but no one ever had no one ever said that the disturbances included natural soil erosions. Oh my God. A plus prosecutors and just making this up all whole cloth. So the difference between this case and that of the Martins was there actually was corroborating physical evidence. Oh, please tell me about it. So Michael Mao, who's the emergency room physician who had examined the original accuser after she had made this accusation, um, He testified during the trial that the girl's genitalia appeared reddened and that he'd observed some lacerations that were consistent with sexual abuse. Now, I I actually just learned this recently, but laceration in the modern sense doesn't mean cuts. It means uh, injury suffered from blunt force where the skin has split apart. Oh, interesting. Yes, thank you, Paul Holes. I didn't know that either. Hm. So it was on mostly on Dr. Miles' evidence that the case rested. And it was that evidence that sent Dan and Keller, Dan and Fran Keller to prison. They weren't released until twenty thirteen. That was seven years ago. <laughs> In case anyone has forgotten which year it is, which they I never, would forgive you. They never should have been there. No. They mm. They served 20 years. Yeah. Uh, And they only were released after Dr. Mao finally recanted his testimony. So at the time of his examination, he had little direct experience, pediatric, pediatric sexual abuse cases and said that he realized after the trial had ended that his conclusion was, quote, not scientifically or medically valid. Thanks. Cool. Really glad you swore to it under oath, but. Uh, so the lacerations he had claimed to find in that research would later show were actually a natural formation of the girl's genitalia and not evidence of abuse. So what? So were... he just straight up had no idea what he was talking about. I was going to say So this man just had never seen a vagina before. Yeah. No, clearly, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. So, uh, so dubious medical claims aside, there's obviously tons of other red flags that should have cast out on these cases to begin with. So, like, the testimony of the children especially seems completely fucking bonkers to us today. But you have to look at it in the greater t- context of the 80s and 90s, as we had talked about when like, there are similar cases all over the news and Michelle Smith was going on Oprah to plug her book. Like, this was considered real. Um, even as late as, like, 1994, a Redbook magazine survey found that a full 70% of Americans believed satanic ritual abuse was real, um, despite the fact that both the FBI and the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect had both put out reports debunking this in the early 90s. I mean, but no one's going to read those. (laughs) That's not going to make the news. So at the root of a lot of this is the idea that when children tell you they're being abused, you should believe them. And I know it sounds like I'm going to veer into some very problematic territory, but bear with me here for a second. (laughs) episode has been problematic territory so the cbc's podcast on satanic panic that i kind of plugged at the beginning of the episode this spends a couple episodes picking this apart and they do it really well so go listen to that if i'm making a fool of myself and not making myself clear it focused on a case in martinsville saskatchewan that followed the same pattern as the mcmartin and keller case there's one accusation of abuse at a daycare it ballooned into dozens in this case like even started implicating other members of the community that weren't like they were friends of the daycare owners. Mm-hmm. So um, while this trial was ongoing, there was a movement, like lawn signs and all, that branded on this idea of "believe the children." And in this particular community, and like the elsewhere, there's this pervasive idea that children were either incapable of lying, incapable of lying, which is just straight up not true. <laughs> I've been a child; I can testify. Yeah, it is <laughs> like two-year-olds know how to lie. Like they don't do it well. But they also might not do it purposefully, but... At the very least, they would, like, think that the abuse was they were reporting was so horrific and so disturbing that it was past the point of an overactive imagination that children couldn't come up, come up with these terrible things unless, on their own, unless they'd actually experienced them. Oh, believe me. Children come up with some pretty fucked up shit. Children... <laughs> so, a couple of weeks ago... I'm sorry to call up my six-year-old niece... But Derek, she doesn't listen. Derek sent me a send me and Ryan a picture that she had drawn of like a murder victim. Like there was a guy standing over another guy and like the one of the guy and the was lying down like in what was clearly a pool of blood and the guy was standing over him with a knife. Do and you still like, have "Should this I photo be so we can put it on the Instagram like is that? I'm not going to call her out that badly." <laughs> she doesn't have a social media presence. <laughs> But it's like, he's like, should I be worried? I'm like, no, like, and he was telling her she was drawing, or he told me he she was drawing Pennywise in the tractor a couple of days before. And I was like, kids see one thing on TV and they, like, focus on it. Yeah. You know, like, you get, like, you see one accidental, like, trailer for the movie It. She was telling me <laughs> last time I was home about a movie trailer she had seen with sharks. And she was obsessed with this movie trailer. Like, I'm sure she saw a commercial on TV and just hyper focused on this idea just of a killer Saw the trailer clown. for The Meg, and like you don't yeah. forget that. No, <laughs> that makes a big impression on you as a kid. And like, since Statham makes a big impression on all of us, <laughs> but specifically six-year-olds. And you wouldn't think about it, but like kids pick up on so much more than we give them credit for. Like they listen. I mean, there are entire the Reddit threads dedicated to creepy shit that kids have said off the cuff. Yeah. And those are great. Those are my favorite to read. But yeah, so like the idea that children couldn't come up with this, like, of course they could. It's, it's right up there with believing that the pyramids had to be aliens because ancient people couldn't have figured right. it out. God forbid. Like, life finds a way. And so this idea, the problem with this idea of believe the children is that the belief ends up being the end of the line when it needs to be the starting point. And when we talk about believing victims of abuse, it's not taking everything they say at face value, especially when they're children and three years old and just who even knows. But it's about taking their accusations seriously enough to put in the work and do the investigation, find the corroborating evidence to back up their claims and build a case you can take to court. And sometimes there isn't evidence. No, it's never that simple, especially in cases of rape and sexual abuse. Physical evidence isn't isn't always available or it's been lost by the time the crime is reported. But with many of the satanic ritual abuse cases, there's so much corroborating evidence that, that should be there, but it isn't. Like, where are the underground tunnels beneath the McMartin Preschool? Or all the babies that were rit- supposedly ritually sacrificed. Or the paper trail for the tigers, because I know they weren't fucking buying them from Joe Exotic. Where are they getting the tigers? What are they doing the rith- with the remains? Why is no one reporting their babies missing? And did Carol Baskin's <laughs> murder her husband? <laughs> I don't get any of these references, Emily. I have a peripheral knowledge of Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin, but I have not watched Tiger King, and I will not watch Tiger King. I think sometimes, like, in the, in the Martinsville case, like, they were talking about children getting shot in, like, the arm, in the leg, and, like, these injuries aren't, you can go look, you can tell if someone's been shot or not. How do the kids not come home with, like, a giant gaping wound that no one notices? Like, this is what I'm talking about, saying, like, there should be physical evidence, but they're... It's not there. Yeah, if your three-year-old rolls up after preschool and is like, I got shot in the arm today. Like, it's pretty easy to tell if that actually happened. And a lot of times this is written off simply because the specter of satanic cults looms so large. Like, it's never just a couple isolated cases. It's supposed to be this whole network of devil-worshipping cultists Many of which are in positions of influence, like, supposedly powerful enough to bury the evidence and make the bodies disappear. Like, you'll see this. We know all of the people abusing children in giant rings across the United States are Christians. Like, come on. And so, like, with the Kellers, like, no one questioned how they could transport the children all the way to Mexico, which is a seven-hour round trip, not including whatever time you would need to allow for the abuse, and still have them back. (laughs) By the time they start parents pick to... them up in the afternoon. Let's see. Uh, 8 a.m. to 11.30 bus ride to Mexican border. 11.30 to 12. We're going to do a juice and cracker break. And then 12 to 1 is the abuse. And then 1 to 3. We're going to take that bus ride back up to San Diego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Got to make sure the kids have juice and crackers before the abuse. Otherwise, they get too fussy. Yeah. And and remember, like their landlord could have dropped by and said, weird that like Dan and Fran. uh, And all of the children. The 12 children under their care seem to not be here. They must have gone to the park. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? So the real fault at the center of this idea of believing the children is the fact that many of the investigators didn't. There are transcripts and videos of some of these interviews that were conducted in these cases. And very often what occurred is that the child starts off the interview denying that any abuse took place. The questioner can't get them to confirm anything. Or the the answer, like, very neutrally. So, like, in the Keller case, like, one of the kids was asked, like, what happened at the daycare? And they'll get stories like, Danny fell asleep in the toy room. Like, something totally innocuous. Yeah. But the problem is you've got parents and therapists who already who are already convinced that this abuse has taken place so they continue to press the child they ask leading questions until they get the answer they're looking for so like we've talked about how suggestible kids are it doesn't mean they're stupid like if the therapist keeps asking them the same question over and over they're going to get the message that they didn't give the right answer and they're going to follow wherever the question is, the questioner is leading them and it's like it's that kind of dynamic that leads to some of the totally weird accusations like they're feeding into each other well i just like why would they want that to be true so badly but i mean it might be like when you i think it's less that they want it to be true and more like they're convinced at this point that it already has so they just they want the child to confirm it well i mean like in some cases is it maybe like their kid is being shitty and they're looking for a reason to like pin on it other than admitting that their child is shitty? I mean, I think with the case of the uh, the three-year-old girl that was the original accuser of the calories, like, I think that's very possible where her mother is, she's three years old and, quote, acting out. So her mother has taken her to a therapist. That definitely feels like a situation where she is trying to find a reason for that. Because it isn't just that your child's a nightmare or, like, there's got to be something wrong with them when... <laughs> I, I don't know the girl. I don't know her medical history. But I would almost imagine that her mother was just overly just cuckoo banana yeah. pants. <laughs> and that sounds very dismissive to say. But, like, if you're worried about your three-year-old child acting out, like, that's what three-year-olds do. I don't know. Yeah, even if it's an extensive amount, like, they might just be a particularly rambunctious child. Yeah. So, All I right. don't know. The kids, then, as they start to, like quote, admit to the abuse, they're rewarded. Like the interview will start interviewer starts praising them for being brave. Like we're so proud of you for telling the truth. And that just gives the kid incentive to keep telling them more. And making up these crazy stories. Yeah. In the in the McMartin case, since it was such a high profile thing, like they rewarded these kids with like visits from like fucking Mr. T and I think the cast of Punky Brewster, (laughs) so then, like, they did that, and then other kids saw them, it's like, oh, shit, if I do this, then, like, do I get to meet Mr. T? Yeah, you, they're, like, five, six years old. They don't have (laughs) consciousness yet, like. No, they don't get those until they're, like, 24. Kids are little psychopaths. Monsters. (laughs) (laughs) They have no empathy. They have not learned it yet. What's really particularly egregious about all of this is that it seems perfectly likely that Maybe not in any of the cases we have covered, but in some of these cases, there may have been real instances of child abuse at the center of them. But because you go after them with this overzealous and coercive interview techniques, like that taints any testimony you're going to get. At this point, you start, the kid's going to start internalizing the interrogation they're getting to the point where you're planting false memories in their head. And once that happens, like you can't, there's no way of knowing what the truth is. There's no dis- distinguishing what's actually real and what was coerced. In like, Talk about how traumatizing that is for the kid to be convinced that this stuff happened to you. Yeah. Like, even if you weren't molested, like, you still believe that you were because your insane mother and some therapist, like, convinced you that you right. were. Like, that is going to have the same kind of mental trauma. There are countless others cases of a tan- alleged satanic ritual abuse at daycares from this period. At least one of those convicted, a, na- ma- a man named Frank Fuster, whose 1985 case also rested on coercive interviews, and recovered memories from his wife, um, is still in prison. Um, but the nin- cool. by the 1990s, cases started to taper off or at least, like, fly under the radar. Defense seems started raising accusations of satanic ritual abuse as a way to, like, cast doubt on charges. So prosecutors kind of changed their tactics. They didn't really air that in court, and they, like, started using terms like multi-victim, multi-perpetrator, like, stuff like that to make it seem a little more innocuous. This fear of, like satanic murders and everything like it it, it still hasn't completely no. cleared itself um because and uh, you watch forensic files episodes from the early 2000s and they're still talking about dungeons and dragons like it's some weird like call that <laughs> and the west memphis three like that righted entirely on a police officer like believing Thinking kids were weird exactly it was just some fucking goth kid and he didn't do anything except be a weird goth kid. There are still some groups today that believe that satanic cults are still participating in ritual abuse, including the always charming Randy Noblet, who testified also at the Keller's trial. Uh, Fuck that guy. <laughs> I hate him. is the last note I have. He is still a licensed therapist and even published a book on ritual abuse as recently as 2015. He's just going for it. This is what happens when you don't tell a white guy that they suck. <laughs> well... You get randy. I mean, you can try, but I don't think they're going to be receptive to it. You have to start early on. You have to start breaking them down really early on. All right. Well, that's a satanic panic. I don't... God. <laughs> People are so stupid. I can't wait to... I I can't wait to look back on, like, this past decade and figure out what our satanic panic was.
1: I feel I it's going to be updated. a lot of,
0: like, immigrants but i i need billy joel to to do an updated we didn't start the fire <laughs> <laughs> like 2 years from now just to see how that goes i think you could write an entire we didn't start the fire about the last 6 months because in some cases we did <laughs> all right well i mean it's nice that we are leaving these these people with uh this over our uh summer break yeah have fun being mad for four to six weeks i don't remember exactly when we come back we come back on we'll be back in august yeah that sounds right um yeah we're gonna we're gonna take a little break we're gonna enjoy our our summer inside (laughs) i think i saw a tweet somewhere like this is the summer that america sits inside and thinks about what it's done yeah this is the we got a d on our report card summer (sighs) boy Oh God! Um, well, I mean, I guess I uh, use the time you're not listening to us to to listen to some other podcasts, get some diversity in your feed. <laughs> yeah, we um, if you go to our Instagram, we still have the story up um about um amplifying Black voices and having the uh, podcasts by Black hosts in our Instagram stories. So go look those up; those are all very good. I'm trying to think about what else we've subjected people to over the. Uh, I guess there was the Denver airport episode. If you fly to Denver and want to talk to us about it, no. Oh, my God. I was watching Space Force this weekend, which is an amazing show, incidentally. Um, highly recommend. But there was a character who was talking about the Denver airport <laughs> and how there were all these conspiracies. And, like, I wanted to rip my eyes out. Were, were there any new ones? Or had it, We all covered them all. Uh, we covered them all. Hi. Um, But, yeah, definitely watch Space Force. That was some good shit. I'm not just saying this because of an undying love for Ben Schwartz. <laughs> People named Ben in general? Yeah, it, it seems to be your type. Just the name Ben. Uncle Ben. Uh, ben Carson. These are all good bens. Ben Big Carson? fan of the rice. It's the only other Ben I could think of, other than Gentle Ben, which I think was a gorilla? A bear. A bear. I know the because of a joke on The Simpsons, which is where I get all my <laughs> cultural references. It's like pre me As me-bing. do most people your yeah. age. Did I ever tell you that I used to live down the street from the uh, high school where... Matt Groening went to I think I have mentioned that. Yeah. Anyways, um so we are on Instagram at afternoonified, uh Facebook whatever. Um I don't want to have a Facebook anymore, Sarah. Can we delete it. We're not on Facebook anymore. <laughs> um we are on Twitter at afternoonified, af- getafternoonified.com, uh get afternoon, no, sorry, com. Um just a reminder that all of our merch sales are going towards Black Lives Matter for the foreseeable future. When we come back, we will have a uh, couple new merch designs yeah we're working on it sarah is very pumped for one can you guess what is it what it is don't give him a hint no i'm not just know that sarah is very excited for it i've already pre-ordered my tote bag which is weird because i haven't even finished the design yet um yeah so we'll be back in august with new episodes um i'm very excited about the topics we're doing yeah it'll be a good time and we will we will see you guys then. Until then, uh, believe children but not that much. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, we love you. Hey. I'm gonna need you all to roll plus charm to do the ad. That's a five. I got a ten. Eight. All right, Travis. Buddy can manage to get out the name of the show, but not much else. Monster Pod. Sadie, Jimmy is going to be able to get out the premise, but you didn't roll high enough for any spoilers. Monster Pod is a real play Monster of the Week podcast where four government-employed idiots try to save the world. Sarah, Thomason rolled high enough to finish the ad. Releases every other Friday here on So Below Media.